or in airplanes, when you instrument rate it, you fly the instruments not to what you feel. There's a sensation apparently that you get when you fly that you're banking left or banking right. I get that all the time. I must tell you. As a passenger, I feel, whoa, we're turning. Yeah. But then you look at what the information is on the screen and there's no, nothing. There's nothing going so, on. So a lot of pilots crash because of that feeling. Mm. So the pilots are, are told to look at the instruments because it's not true. Yeah, your inner ear is lying to you. It's lying to you. So when there's lots of things happening, lots of information happening, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're trying to basically mitigate your mistakes by using a tool that helps you mitigate that. So instrument checks you to say, okay, in, in the instrument version of flying, it will tell you your altitude and it'll tell you if you're banking left or you're banking right. It'll tell you a whole bunch of information that to help to fly that plane. The same is true when you're having to make lots of decisions is you need the instruments to help you understand what's really going on. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. That's the voice of Alon Rays, CEO of Corp. During the series, Alon guides us towards the opportunities and around the pitfalls that accompany moments of extreme change. After over 20 years of building businesses and supporting entrepreneurs, he has developed processes that he uses to deal with difficult times when uncertainty is high and confidence can be low. During this second episode, we discuss his decision matrix tool and how we can create one for ourselves. In the previous podcast, Getting to Rational Quickly, it's about getting your mindset right. And that is about, let's call it, getting your, your lens right. But then the next stage is a tool that you need to interpret the world in front of you. So we have a thermometer to tell us the temperature. We measure air pressure. We measure volume. We measure all sorts of things. Even as we sit here and make this podcast, you're tinkering up and down and moving things up and down because you are watching things move relative to something else. Our world around us is filled with instruments that tell us what's going on. So what's the instrumentation for decision making? What we're trying to do is we're trying to basically separate an emotional response, which is coming back to the previous podcast, the reaction to what is going on, I feel threatened. That's an emotional response versus a rational response, which is a thought through response. And I need a tool to think through to know what's going on. It's literally, this is, it sounds very fancy, but it's not fancy. It's an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of columns and some thought through weighting around each column. And as time goes by, you would add new columns as you learn that there's something else that's important for you to measure. And you might subtract one or you might change the weightings that you relate to each column in terms of importance. So if this sounds like an amazing idea. I've got this real opportunity. And then I ask the question, well, if one of the columns in my matrix says how much investment will it take, maybe two, three million rand, then I go, okay, I'm forced to come up with that number. Then the next one in my column says, well, how much time before that thing breaks even? And you say, well, I don't know approximately how much time, maybe two years. And then the next thing is human resources. How much human resources are going to require right now? It says three or four people. 
And so as you start asking more and more questions, the idea starts off very exciting because it's got a huge opportunity, but you realize more and more that that opportunity is probably going to sink you because you're going to spend all this time, all this money, all this effort, all these resources, which is an opportunity cost for something else, and you're not going to get the return. What's important here is that this is in a context where you present it with many opportunities. This is not about, I've got one opportunity. Then you've got time to think about it. But when you're in a time of extreme change, many opportunities, or in Viticoma, so-called opportunities present. And because you don't have the context, you are more likely to make a mistake in terms of which ones are good and which ones are bad. So you need some sort of reference point. And the reference point is a spreadsheet with criteria that matter most to you. It sounds like a simple and effective way to consider decisions and opportunities. But is it too simple? I challenged Alon to determine whether or not this was just something he shares or if it is, in fact, something he really uses. I've got nine columns. As I've built out the scorecard and used it for years now, I've actually just assimilated it. I don't now, honestly speaking, I don't have to physically go to a computer and put it into an Excel spreadsheet. However, during the COVID-19 crisis, I actually didn't trust myself in that time and I needed to go to a, a thing that I knew and trusted, which was that scorecard. It simply sits on my desktop, I put it up, I fill in the columns and once again you have to be very conscious of the fact that it's still subjective, it's still you that's putting in those answers. And very often if like for example break even, how long will it take to get your, your from a cash flow to get your money back, you don't know. You, you have to take an educated guess. But you'll know that this will take two years, this will take one year, this will, I'll get my money back next month. You know, there, there's certain rules of thumb that you will know and you can put that in. So it's not, a, it's not an accurate tool, it's not the scientific tool. But in, in a time of extreme change, you need tools to help you. And not only did I use the matrix on that, I use it for every single opportunity. You've come to my home where I, I built my war room during that time. You saw all the opportunities as Sriam uh, posted notes on, on the wall. Each one of those is sitting in an Excel spreadsheet with a matrix, with a whole bunch of columns that I believe are important for me to make decisions in terms of which ones are good or bad. And what you see, by the way, on that wall, all the ones that made it. In other words, there was a th threshold where there were, would be let's completely wacky outliers. And I would sit and I would think about them for a while because sometimes you try and massage them into your matrix, you know. But I've, I've learned over the years to have a discipline to say no. Last week I said no to six opportunities. Six opportunities got dear Johns from me. And who knows, four of them might be great, two not. But I have to live with those decisions because I reference my ability to leverage what I have in order to make them successful. I didn't believe it was valuable for me, the risk-reward associated with those six. It's so interesting to hear a seasoned entrepreneur say that he didn't trust himself enough without using a tool like this. It's been repeated many times during the various Razor's Edge podcasts and from a variety of other sources that the more mature we get, the more we understand our vulnerabilities and how much we just do not know. 
In spite of my newfound confidence in what Alon was sharing, the thought did enter my mind. Doesn't using something like a decision matrix scorecard or tool destroy the creativity and innovative opportunities that come with the entrepreneurial spirit? So entrepreneurs, by, by their very nature, have got a lot of cowboy in them. You know, there's a lot of shoot from the hip. There's a lot of, how do I put this in a politically correct way? There's a lot of salesmanship that goes on, which there might be some deviation from reality. Let's put it that way. We tell stories, but we very often tell the story as an amalgam of the, the present and the future. And it's not quite clear like where the one is and where the other is in the story. What's true now and what might be true in three months' time. And so in that, there is a lot of creative license. But when you start to mature as an entrepreneur, you start to actually work out that you had wished you were a little less creative and a lot more rational in terms of how you're making decisions. So what I want to caution here is that I don't think you should ever take all the creativity out because that's part of the genius of entrepreneurs is that they, they, they are able to do things that aren't possible that aren't possible according to what other people say, and they make them possible. It's because they have this creative streak and this ability to think and feel in the future. This is just a balancing act that you now get presented with a lot of opportunity, and now you have to start making decisions. Two weeks ago, I had a, an entrepreneur who I've known for many, many years. I would like to say he's a nice guy, but he battles, and he battles to focus because the guy basically chases anything new that shines. And so when you ask him, what do you do? He says, no, I do this and this and this and this and this and this. And he's got those cliched business cards where he's involved in you know, 20 or 30 different things. Um, a holding and company. Yeah. A holding company, yeah, a conglomerate, yeah. <laughs> and the bottom line is a one-man band. And my discussion with him is that you need to focus, you need to choose. And he said, but I don't know how to choose. They're all, oh, I've got opportunity. And I said to him, you know, that's true. But that's never going to go away. Opportunity is always going to be in front of you. It's never going to go away. We've heard this before. The, the most important decisions are what we say no to. And this tool allows you to say no to something in a rational way. It takes the emotion out of it. it. just doesn't fit there. And I do that the same way, even in our partner elite division. We will get maybe 30, 40 people applying to partner with Partner Elite for equity a month, sometimes more, sometimes a bit less. I've got a scorecard. Basically, when those applications come in, it's quite simple. They have to meet 70 points. If that goes to 69, 68, I'll look at it still because I don't want to be that rigid. But if it's at 40 or 30, I send a, a Dear John letter and say, thank you for applying. It doesn't meet our strategy. And thank you. So what this really is, bottom line, is this is a scorecard for making decisions. It's one thing to use a tool or scorecard like he is suggesting we do. But where does instinct, experience and gut feel come into all of this? Where is trust your gut? So let's talk about gut feel. A lot of entrepreneurs talk about gut feel. And I'm a little bit skeptical about that conceptually. If you Watch guys like Darren Brown, who 
are able to make people do things, say things, draw things that they thought they had free will and they didn't have free will. And various other people who do the same thing, mentalist, neuro-linguistic programming, etc. The, the concept of the fact that we have got free will when we most probably don't, that we are so affected by our environment, what we see, what we hear, what happened to us in our past, that the way that I see it is that our decision-making is a function of a whole bunch of matrices that are layered on one on top of the other, and a whole bunch of provocations, visual provocations, audible provocations, things we've heard, we see, that then become top of mind, move forward in, in terms of our consciousness. And so we think we're making a decision based on our own inverted commas gut field, but we really are doing it on a, a combination of all the the latest provocations together with a history of matrices of what we have done and failed and won at in the past. This worked, this didn't work. I had a teacher like that. He was a horrible teacher. This guy looks like that teacher. And so this guy's a bad guy. I don't like people where they've got X kind of eyes or the people who dress in a certain way. So they say that, and that's part of the, the way that they assess something. But what they're really doing is they're referencing something in the recent past. That's exactly what's happening. It's not gut feel. It's just a whole bunch of collected experiences. So those could be wrong. And there's the other thing that's going on, which is that we tend to remember every time our gut feel was right. We tend to very quickly forget or that every time our gut feel was wrong. You know, we, we forget those things. So we've got, uh, we've got a, basically a bias in what we remember about our gut feel. And we overestimate our capability. I've got a cartoon series called Colton Dutz. And there's a great cartoon in there where there's a lecturer in front of a whole bunch of students. And he, he asks, who of you think you're above average? And... 85, 90% of the class put up their hand. And that goes to show that most people overestimate their capability. Entrepreneurs in particular overestimate their capability, which is part of their charm, part of why they're so good at what they do. But they do overestimate what is possible and what can be done in the moment. They just make it happen later. But there's no ways in that cartoon that more than 50% of people are above average. That's statistical truth, yet 90% of the people do. And the same thing about entrepreneurs and, and their feeling about gut feel. It's almost like an arrogance around it, like I've got some special human powers. And even as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm, I can feel the, the entrepreneurs out there cringing and going, he doesn't understand. I feel like almost like an enemy because I'm saying things that they don't want to hear. I'm one of those people. I also go on inverted commas gut feel, but I also have an academic relationship with that so-called gut feel. I know that it's all my experiences and my recent experience. And as such, just by the way, I test that against what I've just experienced in the last month because I know that is going to have the highest influence on what I'm feeling. Like, is this really true? Is what I'm feeling really true? So that ability to see yourself in the third person that allows you to, I think, make better decisions. And what this tool does is you become the third person to the tool. You see the data in front of you. 
Uh, and then there's a number. And once again, I say, as I said before, the, the number that you're putting into each column is subjective. It's still subjective. It's not objective. So there's still a form of manipulation or a personal bias in it. But at least now it's it'll spread out and put in front of you. And maybe if you weren't trying to manipulate a number up to where you wanted, you would have the discipline to say no. My own bias towards data-centric decision-making is clapping its hands because gut feel has always felt a little too whimsical, too impulsive to me. I've really enjoyed this discussion. If you have too, head over to racecorp.com where you will find similar resources aimed at helping you expedite the growth of your business, including Alon's lockdown articles that have inspired this Navigating Extreme Change series. In addition to this, if you follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platforms, you'll find updates on when the next podcast is released. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in the next episode.